fired. I think better people make better firefighters. So that's the first thing that I talk about. And that's the first thing I talk about when we build our workouts. Everything we do, uh, working out wise, PT wise, every sweat, you know, we you know, beat a sweat, we drop. Uh, that should be in the service of making us a better person. And that comes into how we approach our workouts, how we set them up, what, what our intentions are. And these are important things, especially talking about mental health, which is huge for tactical athletes. And that's a whole other avenue, but it starts also in how we prepare ourselves to work out. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard is a guest for this episode, firefighter Aaron Quinn. Before I get into the full introduction for Aaron, I want to do a quick follow-up on the recent quick fit tip regarding calf injuries. The reason why I posted that, if you've listened to the recent interviews with Tony Gentlecore and Jay Dawes, you heard both guests talk about debilitating calf injuries and the length of time it took them to recover. And that reminded me of an article I wrote a few years ago on the Achilles tendon and on the calf. That's a very common injury. If you're over the age of 30 or 35 and you're active, and if you're a guy, you most likely know somebody, either a friend or a colleague or a teammate, who's torn their calf, playing their favorite sport or doing their favorite activity. Well, if you didn't hear it, please, I invite you to go back, listen to that quick fit tip, because I provide some very important information and very important insights for what you can do to avoid tearing your calf or damaging your Achilles tendon during your favorite activities. And if you look in the show notes for that episode, I have there's a video I posted, I did a few years ago, there are a couple blogs I've written, they give you a lot of great information for how you can avoid that injury. And on that note, I have a huge favor to ask. If you've purchased a copy of Smarter Workouts, my book that's for sale on Amazon, or you listen to the All About Fitness podcast on a regular basis, can you please take a moment and leave a review either on Amazon or on whatever podcast platform you listen to? I'm an independent content producer. I'm an independent author. I do this pretty much by myself. And you know how this works. The more reviews that you leave, the higher up in the search rankings this content goes and the more people that can benefit from that. I'm here to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. Feel free to share my content. Feel free to share the episodes. If you do a blog, if you post on social media, if you find anything, if you hear of anything that speaks to your audience, please feel free to share it. We're all in this together, and you can help me by leaving a review on one of those platforms, either Amazon, if that's where you bought Smarter Workouts, or on however you listen to the podcast. Now, let's get back to the introduction for this episode's guest. Aaron Quinn is a firefighter with the Oakland Fire Department. Not only that, but he runs the fitness program for the academy. So all the recruits that come into the Oakland Fire Department go through Aaron's fitness program through the academy. He also offers fitness workshops for firefighters and other first responders. Aaron and I met through the Clubhouse platform, and I've been following his Instagram feed for a while. I wanted him to be a guest on the podcast because I wanted him to talk about the unique fitness needs of firefighters. We have this perception, we have this stereotype of the muscle-bound, bulky, burly firefighter but that's not the reality. Firefighters need to be mobile. They need to be explosive. They need to focus on being injury-free. It's not just enough to, to be muscular. Firefighters need to focus on being injury-free. On the previous podcast, the previous episode with Dr. Jay Dawes, you heard him talk about some of the research, looking into oxygen use of firefighters, what they, how they use oxygen during their, during their duty when they're breathing from a tank. And on this episode, I wanted to go to somebody on the front lines of it, and that's why I reached out to Aaron and asked him to come on and be a guest. And as you're going to hear, fitness for being a firefighter is not just physical preparation. There's also a huge mental component. I think you're going to be surprised at some of the training exercises and activities that Aaron uses with the fire recruits and with the firefighters that he works with. This is a fun conversation. This is an important audience. And if you have any friends, family members, loved ones, who are firefighters or first responders, please share this episode with them so they can learn from it as well. On this episode of All About Fitness, it's all about the fitness needs of firefighters with Oakland fireman Aaron Quinn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, I'm speaking with firefighter Aaron Quinn. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Happy to be here. And thank you, uh, thank you for being here. What's your formal What's your formal title? You're with o- the Oakland Fire Department. That's Oakland, mm-hmm. California. And what's your formal title? I'm a firefighter. That's it. That's okay. So I didn't. Not know very for- Not very formal at all. Well, it is. And, and in the email, as we're going back and forth, I think people who live out west are very aware of this. We're in a drought, and I know they're already here. We are recording that. We're recording this in June. And I want to I want to kind of have you talk a little bit about um, what people can do to kind of protect their homes for the wildfire season. Because even though, and I'll acknowledge this, Oakland isn't traditionally a a, a wildfire. Tr- Oakland wouldn't traditionally fight wildfires. You're more of an urban department, correct? Yes, but we have urban wildland interface. If I mean everyone knows the 91 Hills fire, um, that's so true. There you go. And uh, the way the state the way the state operates now, uh, especially during COVID is they, we get sent out to wherever fight, wherever the need is. So it's very common for us to be tapped, to go anywhere in the state to fight a wildland fire. Well, and that's my understanding, right? You can be on a shift and may, you might be, you might be coming up in the last hour or two of your shift. And all of a sudden you might get a call to go out and you might get called out to go to a fire and then you can be there for a period of days, correct? 14 days. <laughs> oh wow so you can be getting ready you can be thinking about heading home and all of a sudden you're you're out on a fire line for two weeks wow yep and, and so what can people do how can people what steps can people take to protect their house and to make it easier for what you guys might need to do if you're called into service well i think the first the first step is to clear away any kind of brush or low-hanging limbs and you know, as a general rule, we want somewhere between 25 to 50 feet. If you're living in kind of a area where you can get more or if heavy timber, light, light, flashy fuels, as far as like grasses, you can go up to hundred feet. The, the more, the better, uh, essentially. And all the trees should be limbed up at least six to eight feet off the ground. Uh, nothing over the roof lines. Those are kind of the standard things. You want to look around your house, make sure you don't have any ignition sources, no fuel stored. If they are stored, they're stored in a fireproof shed away from the house. No firewood stacked up against the house. Things like that nature is uh, really what what kind of helps spread fire fast. And then after, outside of that, we look at the roof. What's what's your roof made out of? Uh, is there debris on the roof? Is it clear? Are the gutters clear? You know, believe it or not, a little ember gets stuck in there with some duff that's been on the roof for a while and festers. And next thing you know, uh, your roof is going. Well, and I think this is important because I think, well, I know I was, I was mountain biking one time with a friend of mine who works uh, for a fire department here in, in, in the San Diego area who shall remain nameless because of what he said. But we were looking at, at some of the, the properties that were near the mountain biking trails. And he pointed out to me, he goes, look at that. And he was showing me that certain houses had the defensible space. You know, they had whatever it was, 25, 25 feet, 25 yards. But you could tell they had made they had made an effort. The homeowner had made an effort to clear away the brush and, and, and to create the space, whereas other homeowners hadn't. And he just said this. He wasn't being accusatory, Aaron. He said it just very offhand. He goes, yeah, that's a house we'd work on. That's a house we'd just walk by. He's like, we wouldn't spend much time there. And you, you cannot, you don't need to confirm or deny that. But I just, but it just, it, it was very surprising to me because I'm not, I'm not from California growing up here. I spent some time here in college, but I, I'm not used to that wildfire. And then before we talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about, the stupidest thing, one of the stupidest things, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, Aaron. One of the dumbest things I did in, in my life in college was there's a fire in the hills. I went to school in Redlands near San Bernardino, University of Redlands. And there's a fire in the hills about three or four miles east of the college. And I wanted to see what it looked like up close. So I got on my mountain bike, rode up close, and I was maybe a quarter mile away. From that far away, I could feel the heat. And I was surprised that what happens with a fire, because I was surprised there was like a windstorm created and, and all the stuff blowing around. So if you can describe a little bit kind of the, the mechanic, because it really blew me away. And that's when I kind of realized I shouldn't be there. And I turned around and got the heck out of there. That's like, smart. Yeah, no. Well, I, I, yeah. You, know, you see this stuff in the time. I was like, um, let me hop on my mountain bike. Let me get up there and check it out. And anyway, I realized that I, need, did, I, I did not need to be there. So I got out of there. Um, but talk a little bit about what happens in a situation like that. Because I think for in, people who haven't experienced it, 
but they might not appreciate that a fire, if my understanding, can create its own weather pattern. Yeah, it's like any other weather patterns. You know, the winds move from high pressure, low pressure to high heat to low heat. Uh, you know, if you're if you're by the coast, you experience those the, those shift in winds depending on the time of day, sometimes or how warm it is inland. It's the same idea, and then you uh, couple that with topography and the hills and mountains and canyons, and then with the hot air rising up, it creates wind drafts and down drafts, and that just really starts to create its own 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 windstorm and own own kind of weather patterns that really drives the fire. It's, it's, it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. And it's just hot, hot, hot air and cold air mixing, uh, which kind of, is kind of, you know, in a, sim- in a simple sense, that's what's happening. Well, I think it's important for listeners because every year we see these, the news coverage of the fires and we, we think, wow, how does that get out of control so quickly? But you couple that with natural winds like the Santa Ana as we get down here in Southern California and you can see how a little, a, a little burn can be going to acres like in, in instantaneously. Well, the bottom line is you just don't have enough resources to get there fast enough. Um, fire departments are, are spread out and it takes a while to get personnel there. And if you got winds and, and you got a hill and a mountain and dried fuel, it's going to move quickly. There's only so much you can do with, with what you got. And sometimes when you get there, the best thing you can do is, figure out, okay, we need to try to get these people out of here. This is where it's going to go. And we're not going to be able to stop it until it gets there. So let's try to get everything clear of that, out of that path. So you're not even fighting fire uh, initially. You're something, the, the wildland fire that big, you know, you're, you're kind of taking an assessment and figuring out what the damage, potential damage is going to be and how to get people out. That's your first move. And then when we get resources in place, then it's, then it's time to try to fight the fire. No, and, and so, I mean, to, to circle back for listeners, make sure you have that defensible space so you give these guys, Absolutely. these men and women, as much opportunity as you can to protect it. So why did you become, let, let's, let's, let's start with this. Why did you become a firefighter? What was it about being, being in the fire services that was appealing? That's a hard question for me to distill because I grew up, my dad was a firefighter. So I, I kind of grew up uh, as a kid around the firehouses, in the firehouses, uh, doing stuff with firefighters, hearing his stories. And so in some ways for me, in my mind, it was always what I wanted to do. I think every little kid thinks about it at one point, uh, but it seemed very tangible and real to me. And as I started to do a few other jobs uh, early on in my life, I kind of realized that, that this was a job I really wanted to do. And it was something that was involved in the city that I grew up in. Uh, that I would love and it's a honorable job and it, and it can really help. Uh, at least in our case, when I was a kid, it really helps raise a family. It took, it took my family out of poverty, which was, which was a huge, a, hu- a huge difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even, I had no idea of that backstory. And so you're in Oakland and how long ago, when did you join the Oakland fire department? Uh, I got hired in 2000. 21 and then i started my cat one or 2000 sorry thank you yeah Yeah, yeah. 2001 (laughs) and uh got i started my academy 2002 all right and what's it like because here's the thing i didn't grow up around uh, firefighters my 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 parents had basically you know that they worked in offices and it was never I never knew the process, Aaron, of becoming a firefighter or becoming a police officer. It just wasn't something I was around. And, and so when I got older and I actually did a, a project years ago with DC Fire, I'm like, man, I, I could see the, the appeal of becoming a firefighter. I was at the time in my mid-30s, so it was a little bit over, I would say, over the hill <laughs> for, for having to restart that. But what is the process? How does somebody go about joining a fire service, joining a fire department? Yeah, so it's different depending on what agency and what part of the country you're in. But in general, it consists of a, of a written test. And it's like a pretty standard, standardized test, at least when I took it, which was at this point 20 years ago. Uh, that's reading comprehension, math. There's some unique parts to it. There's some mechanical aptitude parts to it where you have to kind of figure out what levers give you more mechanical advantage, what gears. There's, there's a listening section. We have to listen to a passage and then try to answer questions on that. Uh, that written test in general is pass fail. And so then you move on to the next phase, which would be an oral exam, the oral interview. 
And they ask you all kinds of questions. They ask you the typical questions you think, like, why do you want to be a firefighter? Sometimes they ask you questions about what diversity means. Sometimes they ask you questions about situational stuff. You know, you get a conflicting order or there's a patient this being violent. You know, what do you do? They're, they're very open-ended questions to kind of see how your thought process goes. And what they're trying to assess there is you know, who you are, if you understand the community that you're asking to work in, and if you'll be a benefit to the department. After that, uh, you go through a psych test and a background check, and then you generally go to a chief's interview, which is an, another level. You're one step closer, and it's less people, and that's a, usually more informal. The chiefs can kind of ask you whatever they want to ask you. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, uh, they offer you a job. And then once you get hired, you're hired as a recruit, which means that you go into the drill tower or a training facility, and those training it's last, it varies. When I got in, it was four months and now it's upwards of six to seven months, depending on what requirements they're requiring. And you're categorized as a recruit, you get paid minimum wage and you're in the tower and you're in the training and roughly it's on paper, it's nine to five, but in reality, it's like six to when they tell you to go home, which is usually six or seven at night, uh, Monday through Friday. And oftentimes there's things to do on the weekends. And then you complete that. And then you have a year and a half usually of probation, uh, which you're actually out in the companies, but you're on a probationary status just until you pass all your series of tests and checks. And then after that, you'll be considered a, a, a first year firefighter. And are you assigned to a house or a station? I mean, and then does that become your, your how, does that, how does that work in terms of job site? Yeah, so that really varies. Um, some departments will pair you with a station and a company for a period of time, and some departments won't. In Oakland, we keep our probationaries moving around. They kind of just fill the, fill the vacancy void. Uh, so they're they're one day they can be here, one day they can be there. One day they're here, one, one day they're over there. Uh, we don't tend to keep them at a station too long. You know, there's advantages to both systems, but that's that's how we do it in Oakland. And that's interesting. What I've heard from from people I've met over the years who, and for listeners, when I worked at the American Council on Exercise, ACE had something called the Peer Firefighter Program or the the Peer Fitness Trainer Program, the PFT program that that we had created for fire services, which is one of the areas where I I started really becoming interested in in this topic. But one of the things I heard when I was working with, with, with firefighters in that program, Aaron, was they loved the team aspect of that. Of the fire services. Many of them had played sports, obviously, in, in high school and, and, and everything. And they really, they one of the reasons what, what appealed to them about becoming a firefighter was the fact that, you, that you're that you part of a, of a team. Is that is that true? I mean, if you join, like, if you join the department and you're assigned to a station, does that, in essence, become, like, your team, like it would for any, any major sport? A hundred percent. I mean, when you're, when you're new, you're kind of an outsider. You're probationary, you're probie. So it takes a while to, to kind of find your way. But yeah, when you're, I've been at the same station now for 11 years and I've been with the crew that I have now, the majority of the crew I have now for, you know, between five and 10 years. Yeah. So it really becomes your, and I would even see, even say more so than a team, it becomes your family. I think it's closer to the military than it is to sports. Uh, you know, we, we, we literally live together uh, more than a third of our lives. Um, so it becomes pretty close. I, you know, like I know everyone's wives, I know everyone's kids, you know, we, we hang out off duty. It's not uncommon. If I have to work a day, I can call one of the guys, Hey, I need you to take my kid to piano practice or soccer practice. And they'll come pick up my kid and take him there. So my wife can work. Um, so I would say beyond the sports aspect is much, much more like a family than it is, than it is even sports. Well, because my understanding is if you're on a shift, there, there are what, three or four shifts in, 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 in most it, it varies, but yeah. Most places have three shifts. Okay. And so you rotate. So you might, if you're on shift A, you work 24 hours and then shift B comes on and you have the, the next two 24-hour periods off, correct? Yeah. It's basically, we work, right now we, we do 48.96. So we do two days on and four days off, but essentially, yeah, it's the same thing. Okay. And and then I just, but where I'm asking, what reason why I'm asking is I'm just trying to set the table so listeners can kind of understand some of what the, the lifestyle is and what, what that is, because you're right. The firehouses I've been in um, to do trainings for ACE or for other companies, 
I, I'm always surprised. I forget the fact that people live there because if you're there for 48 hours, like there are rooms with bunks in them. There, there, there's like a room with a TV, and then obviously you have the kitchen. Talk a little bit about the shift meal because I find this fascinating. I mean, I think this is one of the kind of the cool things. I'm smiling. This is one of the cool things because this is what makes the family aspect right. Because I mean, how does how does the shift meal work? I think listeners be interested in hearing. What I want people to understand is a little bit about what kind of goes into the life, and ultimately we'll, we'll be talking about fitness here. But if you could talk about the shift meal, yeah. So you know, I think breaking bread or preparing meals and eating together is it's sacred across time and culture, and um, we find it very much so. It's a, one of the most important places. We always say the kitchen is the most important place outside of the rigs. Uh, you learn more about the fire service. Uh, there than, I mean, I, I, outside of going to the calls and, and being on the rigs, you learn more about the fire service <clears throat> being in the kitchen and eating than, than anywhere else. And so again, it's, it's different every, every department, every, every, every district, but in a, Oakland's a very traditional department and we sit down for morning for roll call. Uh, people, will eat, well, people will eat breakfast is kind of on your own, but we make lunch for everyone. We all share the same meal and we make dinner and we all share, share the same dinner. And, and it's usually stuff from scratch. Um, people, you know, you better not bring no store-bought pasta sauce or store-bought dressing. It's all, you make stuff from scratch and it's, and people take pride in it. It's, it's something that, that is, uh, it, it, it's an honor to be able to cook for everyone and to sit down and, and to share that food. Do, do you guys get competitive? I mean, and I say oh, guys, 100%. I mean, the firefighters, do you get competitive with it? Like, hey, you know, so-and-so crushed it last week. Man, I got to crush it this week. Does that happen? hundred uh, percent in, in, in everything, uh, but especially in the kitchen. My, my wife always jokes that we'll go out sometimes uh, with with the with the husbands and wives and we'll be out in a bar having cocktails. And she's like, you, you, you're sitting around and hear all these big, strong guys you know, they're, they're, they're drinking whiskeys and talking and talking shit. And, and next thing you know, they'll, they'll be like, no, nah, man, you're wrong. You got to brown the chicken first. And then you got to bread it. Who, do, you know, you are dropping F bombs and you know, the bar having this like, like debate with swear cussing about how this person can't cook. Are you doing it wrong? Or this way is better. And she's like, it's hilarious because people look at them like, who are these guys talking about cooking with such passion? Uh, but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a big, a big piece of uh, competition there. Well, no, and I, I was recently at, a, at an old boys rugby tournament and uh, one of the old boys had brought a smoker and a couple guys were basically in, in like a, a rib off. And whew, I talked about this on a previous podcast, man, I, after I got done playing, I think I ate my weight in ribs because those guys <laughs> crushed it, man. I mean, they asked yeah. the sauces and everything crushed it. Now we met online through the, through the clubhouse app and we, and we were in one or two rooms a couple of times. Yeah. And, and cause what I think is fascinating, what, what do you do? Like what role do you play in the Academy? Obviously we're not here to talk about cooking. We're not here to talk about, this isn't all about firehouse life. This is yeah. <laughs> all about fitness. What role do you play uh, with, with the Academy? Yeah. So starting in t- 2007, I took over the head of physical training for all new recruits. So when you get hired, you go into our drill tower. Um, you see me first thing. So it's zero six thirty to about zero seven thirty, zero seven forty-five. Uh, I have PT in the morning, and PT is physical fitness. It's it's just hang out from the military uh, lingo, and we do PT for an hour, Monday through Friday, and that's kind of my role in a very simple sense. In a little more in depth, you know, I draw from lots of different backgrounds and kind of have over the, over the last 13, 14 years have really built what I think is, is a very in, in, encompassing um, program to get people ready to be firefighters and a lot different than what you see out there in a lot of tactical uh, fitness, I guess, paradigms or, or, or training programs. Well, now and then you said, a, you said a very important word and, and, and what I want to come back to is you started, you got hired in 2001 and you said you started in 2002. And I want to remind listeners that that was right after September 11th. That was right after they all, everything that New York Fire experience, experienced on that day. And so this is where my, my introduction to this began because in 2002 or 2000, 2003, the company I worked for uh, owned New York sports clubs. And on September 11th, two of our health clubs were used as staging centers for the New York Fire Department, responding to all the re- responding to all the stuff uh, at the at the World Trade Center. 
So after that, what happened is our, our, our health club company put on a couple programs with local area fire departments to help get recruits ready to, to take the test, to take the CPAT test and, and to go in the academy. That's where I was first introduced to, to this category. So if for listeners, what happened, and I might be wrong in this, but from my understanding, that's when the federal government started making a lot of money available for fire departments to do more fitness conditioning, more personal training. And from that evolved this model of tactical, like what, what you just said, tactical athlete or tactical strength and conditioning. So what's been, what type of fitness training does a recruit go through, Aaron? Like if, if I join Oakland Fire, what can I expect to do for that first hour every morning? Yeah. So again, I, I always say it's different in every department. And so I, you know, I, I will say that what I teach and train is, is a lot different than what most people experience. So people listening to this, don't take this as gospel. If you've been trying to become a firefighter and you step on there, it's not going to be this way. I guarantee you, uh, the, I mean, if you, it, the first thing you expect is a lot of, um, training on how to be a better person. You know, I, I mean, you as a rugby, uh, uh, former rugby player, rugby coach, uh, involved in rugby. I'm sure you've read the book Legacy, um, but they're all blacks and his basic philosophy of better, better people, people make better rugby players. And I took, I, I take that to heart that you will experience. And that's a little off-putting because people are expecting me to come in there and start saying, get, drop and give me 50 and yelling and, and, and being in their face. And that is part of it. That's not how we start. Um, so we start with a general warm up, very simple, uh, just light jog, some push ups, uh, sit ups, uh, uh, bodyweight squats and pull ups, just the very basics. These are very basic movements that we do every day, just because they're, they're fundamental and you can't do fundamental enough. Then we do about 15 minutes of what I call prehab. And these are exercises that are geared to strengthen areas that we know we break. Often, so we do a lot of stuff for the back, a lot of stuff for the shoulders, a lot of stuff for the knees, um, some stuff for balance, uh, some stuff for the Achilles, and that's about 15 minutes in the morning. And then we get into our workout, and our workout uh, can be anything from a traditional lift session uh, to some kind of more sprint dynamic workouts to something that would most people would equate to a CrossFit. I hesitate to say that because we enter it with a different mentation than, than, than a CrossFit workout. Um, and then we have a cool down period The cool down period generally consists of some kind of static stretching, uh, guided meditation or breathing practice, something to kind of focus our mind back into what, what the day is out in the yard. And that's kind of the hour in a nutshell. I, I love the fact that you put meditation in there, Aaron, and what, what, when you started introducing that, when you when you first started introducing that, because I am sure, I remember my time as a young man, hence why I rode, rode towards a fire line when I had no business being there. I am sure you get these young men and women who are so like, they're, they're pumped up, they're ready to, yeah, I want to be a fire. Wait, you, you want me to meditate? What? I mean, how, how do they respond when you say, hey, what, what's, you know, we want you to meditate? And I'm sure it's changing over, over the time that you've been doing that. Well, uh, it doesn't matter because if I say the sky is purple, the sky is purple. That's the way it, <laughs> that's the way it works in academies. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, no, uh, I say that in jest, but it's also true. Um, so they, they only have a choice but to meditate. But, um, you know, I think one of the important things is when you're, especially in a world of like tactical training, when you're coming to like, you know, talking about fire or police, is that those recruits have to see something in you that they want. Right. I'm a 20 year firefighter. I'm not promoted. You know, I still, I'm still the guy doing all the work, you know, in Oakland, when you're a firefighter, you're the one working the officers, the red hats, they, you know, they, they talk to the, the, the families, they, they do the reports, they shine the flashlights. And so when they, you know, they see you, I'm still here. I might be twice your age, but I'm still banging and I'm banging harder than you. Um, and, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, this is how I do it. And meditation is a part of it. That that's a piece. Another piece of it is telling them throughout history, you know, all the warrior classes throughout history have meditated as a huge piece of their development and, and who they are. We just lost it in the Western culture because somehow we think it's soft, right? But that's that's not at all the case. Um, and so, I those are some of the ways I build I build that. You know, then you start building some of the science behind what meditation does for you. And what it can do for your brain and what it can do for performance. And then I late, and then with the last couple pieces that, that I link up is that for a long time in sports, we were always meditating. We just called it 
mental performance or, you know, uh, your peak mental training. Right. And, and, and so we had different names for it, but essentially we were doing the same thing is visualization. It's priming the pump. It's positive psychology, it's positive words, positive verbiage. And you look at all these best athletes, best performers or high level tactical athletes or high level military. They're all doing the same thing. You know, I may not call it meditation, um, but it's, but that's what it is. And so well, that helps people bridge that gap. You just finished with that, Aaron, because when I, when I talked to like, when I talked to Rand, like Randy Hetrick, who created TRX is a former Navy SEAL and then the founder of TRX, he talks about meditation, making meditation. And when you, if you listen to any Tim Ferriss podcast, Tim Ferriss will talk about meditation, but you're talking high performing CEOs who make tens of millions of dollars a year running billion dollar corporations. Even the Navy SEALs now incorporate meditation into their training doctrine. So I love the fact you tied it back to to the warrior class because you can't have a, a strong body without a strong mind. And and it, real quick, if you, if you could talk about about how has fitness evolved in fire? Like how has the model of tactical athlete evolved, and, and what does that model? What does tactical athlete mean to you? Oh yeah, uh, so I think the model is still evolving. I, I, I think the model, in my assessment, if I be so bold, I think the model is largely broken still. Um, I think essentially what people have done is they take, they've taken CrossFit or hit style training and they call that tactical training. They throw in some sandbags, uh, they crawl around the ground, they do what they saw on, on, on a video that seals do. And they think, okay, cool. We got tactical training now. This is great. And they're, and they're yelling at people. Um, and they're not really understanding what goes into what makes a better product, you know? So I think the first thing is we have to do the training for our reality. And there's some crossover between military and police and fire, but also there's some differences. And we get we actually get hired as one of those. We should focus our training towards towards that. Um, and with that being said, you know I think that's a that's a big problem. You know I think you know I just look at a lot of training, especially the, look at the CrossFit model, and it's zero to sixty as hard as you can go uh, for fifteen, maybe twenty minutes. That's not that that is not what produces the best firefighter. You know, we need someone who is not going so hard that they can't think straight. Um, we don't need someone who is in a zone enough that they are put, uh, clouding out external information. You know, we need someone who can think with processes and we need to keep our heart rate down so we can make those decisions so we can, so we can take in <clears throat> internal information uh, and that we need to be able to perform for hours on end. Um, and so that, that really changes how, how I propose tactical training. And on top of all that, we need to be really good at managing our air. Um, above and beyond any any tactical athlete out there, our limiting factor is our air supply. And so, one of the things we'll do is we'll do drills, or we'll do like a simulated work sim on air. And and, and at first, I say, hey, you go as hard as fast as you want. And these guys will bang through this workout, but they have no air left. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, now we're gonna, you know, after you train for you know a couple months, now we're gonna do the same thing. But we're going to go at a moderate pace and, and really focus on controlling your breath and see how much better, how much longer you can perform. Now they can perform even longer and they're shocked because the only thing we've been taught, especially as guys, is pound, 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 hard, 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 hard. So I think that's a, a big pitfall in tactical training. And, and when I see tactical training and when I, how I define that, I would say that it needs to represent the reality of what you're being up against. Um, and if you're talking about tactical, that's something that is you're out in the real world and you're performing in the real world and there's, there's no controls. There's no safety nets. There's no timeouts. There's no defined water breaks or defined, uh, rep counts. And so that's why, that's why I would determine as tactical. And that again, changes the way we need to train as well. Yeah, no, that's, and, and that's such an important thing for people to understand is, what I love about the, the idea of tactical athlete, Aaron, is it's taking an, a, an athletic approach to looking at the needs of what your job requires, right? I mean, you need to look at, at what energy, because when you look at training an athlete, you're going to train a football player different than a basketball player. And you're going to train an offensive lineman different than a receiver based on the needs and demands of their position. One needs to be able to run 30 yards at a, at a clip and be able to recover pretty quickly. The other needs to be able to block a, a 300-pound lineman for four or five seconds at a time pretty quickly. And that's what – so in the last 15, 20 years, what I've seen just as somebody who studies this stuff 
is a tremendous shift in let's train these people like the athletes that they are. Because once upon a time, in it was just like, let's go to the gym, train like a bodybuilder. And now yes. it's, you know, and, and has that shift, has that shift happened? Because my, my friend I, I referenced earlier has talked about, and I've known him now for 10, maybe 12 years. And he's talked about, there's been a huge shift in, you know, younger, as younger recruits come in or young people come into the fire services, they kind of already have that mindset where people my age in, in their late 40s that are still on the services, they still have that bodybuilder mindset of I'm going to do chest presses today or I'm going to do bicep curls. And you're training people like an athlete. You're training them to move. Has that been a, has that been a tough shift? Or did you see, you've been a part, if you've been doing it since 2007, you've been leading that shift in that department. Yeah. So I think in some respects, there is a shift. Yeah. Obviously, I think when I first came in, people were still really big into the into the bodybuilding, I was called the Arnold Schwarzenegger phase of fitness, um, for lack of a better denotion. They were like, you're in there and you're you're trying to get big, you're trying to get strong, and you're doing you know basic lifts, which are, which are good. Uh, but I think I think while maybe the execution is different, but I think the understanding is still flawed. You know, now it's focused on CrossFit, and now CrossFit is kind of waning out, and we see hits or we see the movement culture. Right. And everyone wants to be, you know, moving and moving against body weight and doing these gymnastic movements. And, and, and these are, while these have great benefit athletically and they can teach us a lot, um, that's not what we do. I mean, I don't ever need to do a handstand push up in my life for my job. You know, um, you know, it's awesome, but I don't ever need to do that, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I think we, you know, just take a step back and look at what it is that we do and, and what it is and, and how is it that we need to train? And I think that's the, that's a piece that I still see this missing is people aren't asking that question. Um, they're just shifting to whatever fitness fad is out in the industry currently. Um, and yes, those fads have changed, but it's still, the, it's still the shift in, you know, to, to that fad as opposed to stepping taking a step back and taking pieces of these things and saying, okay, these are good. These are, these are good. This is going to help me perform better. This will help me perform better. And then when you're on a call, when you're on a scene, you're on a fire and you don't perform well, asking yourself, well, what, what happened? You know, what could I have done? You know, what, what could I have done better? What have I learned? You know, uh, what, where's there room for improvement? Well, on that note, I was, I, I was staggered when, when I first looked at the research, this is maybe, I, wait, I spoke at the Redmond conference and, and, and listeners, Redmond is, that's the, the kind of the fitness conference for IAFF, right? For the International mm-hmm. Association of Firefighters. When I, when I was working for the American Council on Exercise, I spoke at that conference um, with, with one or two firefighters that were part of our uh, PFT program. And I, when I was going through some of the research, Aaron, I was shocked to see that it, it, the, the, the biggest injuries that, that are experienced or were experienced at the time were you had knee injuries, which would be expected. You had back injuries, which would be expected. But then the other one, and this is what shocked me, was heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So what, what, when you look at the data for, for large urban departments or when you look at the firefighter data, what are the biggest risks of injury for people on active duty? Well, you have your, your acute or chronic, which is like your knees, your backs, your shoulders, your Achilles. Um, and those uh, wear and tear. Uh, those can be chron- or, or just not strengthening those places. That's what I, that's why I focus on the prehab stuff. Cause that's, it's, you know, we can do, we need, we, we can do things ahead of time. Right. Um, but as far as the heart attack stuff, that's, that's still a, a right up there, you know, heart disease, heart attack, um, and, uh, mental health, me- me- mental health and suicide is, is climbing. I, I, I believe it's, they may go back and forth in which one takes more firefighters uh, out uh, year to year currently, but those two are, are always one and two. Um, so those are the big ones. The hard stuff is tough. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know if we can exercise enough to make our heart healthy in, in our job. I think there's a lot of realities that, that, that are really challenging. Um, sleep being one of them. I think diet nutrition is still a, 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 a big, a big, place to, to tackle in, in, in the fire service and in, in a tactical world is, you know, nutrition, understanding nutrition, getting high quality food and understanding the importance of that, uh, is kind of a missing leg that I see in the fire service, especially. Well, it all comes together. And as you're saying that, I'm really thinking uh, the stress hormone, when you show up on a call, you don't know what you're going to see. You don't know where you're going to come into 
I, I don't need to tell you that. But but from my my point of view, my understanding, if you're called out and you show up on a scene, you you might not know what you're dealing with, and it's that stress level, and that's the reason why to come back to that point about training on air tanks is that's the reason why you would train on air tanks is it's going to elevate your heart rate. It's going to dump cortisol and epinephrine, which adrenaline in, into your bloodstream. You don't know how the body is going to respond to working a scene. And and what's that like? When you show up on a scene, what's that initial, how much do you know, how much information do you have when, you, when you're called out? And what's it like when you first, that first two or three minutes when you're on a scene? Uh, you know, sometimes you know a lot. You know, sometimes dispatch will tell you a lot. Sometimes dispatch will tell you something and it's, you get there and it's, and it's, and it's nothing like that. Um, so I think, you know, in general, I think people try not to, on our way to a call, we try to get locked into what dispatch has told us. I think that's a way you get locked in tunnel vision, having an expectation of what you're going to walk into and then not walk into that can be very hard to uproot yourself. And once you lay down that mental path of like, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to experience. And then it's not that that can be very hard. Whereas going in there kind of with the mind frame of like, it might be this, it might be that, but I'm going go in there kind of as a blank slate, ready to go. In my mind, that, that makes it a little easier to, 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 to adapt to what the situation is giving you. Sometimes you walk into scenes and it's, and it's pretty smooth. It's pretty flawless actually. Um, and sometimes you walk into a scene and it's completely chaos. And generally speaking, uh, the chaos happens when the need for the call outweigh your resources you have on scene. Mm. You know, when there's, when there's too much to do and not enough hands to do it, that's generally when you start to feel that uh, chaotic peace. And then it's just a matter of slowing down, stopping, you know, making, making some good reads, adapting to the situation and then recalibrating what you need to do and what you can do and what you can do effectively. And that changes dramatically from time to time. Sometimes you roll up on scene and it's like everything's going crazy and all you can do is, you know, step back and wait for the police to come. Or maybe all you can do is step back and do some evacuations of neighboring buildings. And then you get some more people involved, more companies. Now we can reevaluate again. Now we have enough people to do this and we'll go do this. And, and it's, it's, it's really the art of trying to control what you can and then be okay with what you can't control um, until you get more hands on, hands on deck. No, I'm just thinking about that because that's why what you spoke about a few minutes ago with your approach to training, Aaron, is so important, is you don't want that that mentality of I'm doing a 15-minute uh, AMRAP or I'm doing a 15-minute balls-to-the-wall slam it because that that reinforces that tunnel vision, right? Exactly. And, and that's exactly why you kind of – because you want, from an athletic standpoint, any athlete, you want, you want athletes to be able to evaluate and assess what's happening so they can respond to that. Now, from the culture that you create in the training from that approach, is that carried out into the houses? Because I wanted to talk a little bit about how, because my understanding, again, every department is different, but my understanding is there's a period in the day that, that, that firefighters will traditionally try to work out. You know, they might always get interrupted by a call. And here in San Diego, there are a couple places where you might see Carlsbad Fire run the stairs by the beach. You might see San Diego Fire down at the convention center, running the stairs at the convention center one or two times a week. So you see them out on, on you know, during while they're on shift, out doing their workouts. Talk a little bit about the workout culture once they do get in the house and, and are on a shift. Uh, again, it's it's uh, it varies. Um, yeah. And I always say that because I, I just want people listening to this understand that I'm speaking from my experience in Oakland. Um, Oakland's a very traditional department. Uh, and that being said, um, you know, we tend to value your abilities on scene more than your fitness level per se say. And those don't, those do not always line up. And that's another thing people have to understand too. And we're busy enough that we can't really, we don't really have structured days. So we don't have a time where we work out. Um, people kind of get in when they can. And, 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 but I would say most people uh, will spend about an hour on any given shift working out. Uh, I tend to get up early and work out just because it's uh, it's a little easier. Day hasn't started yet. Um, if I can get something in in the afternoon, that's great. Uh, my, at my station, I usually end up stretching in the afternoon, do, doing yoga in the afternoon, and a lot of guys follow in with that, and and that's good. Um, but it's it, there's not really a set. We we, we don't have a set overall culture uh, or program outside of the tr uh, of our training tower. And that's that's mostly because of budget. 
We just don't have the budget to do that or the um, personnel to uh, de- kind of dedicate to, to that. And that's, you know, again, some departments like LA city, LA County, they got great resources. They got, they got all kinds of funding for it. Uh, it'd be awesome to have that. That's not us. Yeah. Um, but people do make an effort. People do. And then that, that's a big change when I first came in, when I, you know, when I first came in, everyone drank soda, uh, the meals were a lot, a lot heavier and no one worked out. Like, why are you working out kid? Like, you know, like, like it was, just, it was a different culture and now everyone works out. People don't drink soda anymore. We've seen positive changes as far as that goes. And now have you say you, you alluded to the fact, and even though, even though you look like you're in your mid thirties, you alluded to the fact you've been on, you, you've been on the job since, uh, for 20 years. And now that puts you somewhere in your early to mid forties. How do you, I mean, what's your approach? Obviously you mentioned yoga, you mentioned meditation and you mentioned a very functional uh, approach towards fitness, Aaron. How do you stay in shape? I mean, what, what kind of, uh, and how have you evolved your approach to fitness over the years? Yeah. So, uh, my background is in swimming and water polo. That's what I did in high school and junior college. Uh, so I, so I came from a, you know, heavy endurance, uh, sports, uh, but I came out and I came into the drill tower and, uh, early on 2002, I got hired. One of my buddies was a ex football player for Davis. And he was like, Hey man, I heard this new thing called CrossFit. Let's jump on this. And we jumped on it. We were really big into it. And after a couple of fires, I was like this, this program sucks. This is not, this is not working for me. Cause I, again, I was balls to the walls for 15 minutes and these old timers smoking cigarettes in their fucking forties were outworking me. And I was like, this is not going to work. And, you know, I delved more into it and the philosophies are awesome. A lot of the philosophies and movements that they, that they, they have are awesome. It's just the approach. And so I started trying to find different systems and that's kind of, kind of how I pulled things together. Um, I started doing jujitsu. Um, I've been doing that for uh, 12 years. I think that's a great, a, a great system. Any kind of martial art where you're actually sparring is great for this job. It really taxes you. It keeps you having to be mental, mentally focused. Every mistake you make, you pay the price for. Um, their philosophy is to, to train tired. And I think that's the missing piece for a lot of athletic programs. We don't tend to talk about training tired um, and the importance of not making mistakes when we're tired. Uh, yoga is a huge piece that keeps this body moving. I also think um, it's very spiritual. It's very much about uniting the mind and body and the breath and f- using the, using the breath to help us feel comfortable, uh, in uncomfortable s- situations and poses and movement patterns. And that's exactly what we need to do in our job. We need to really utilize our breath to control our mental and physical states. And outside of that, the, 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 um, I do a lot of prehab exercises. Those are all from different injuries I've had. So a lot of dead bugs, a lot of bird dogs, a lot of sidesteps, a lot of hip strength, hip strengtheners, a lot of shoulder mobility and shoulder strengthening stability stuff. Um, that's kind of where, how I'd say I, how I've evolved from on a day-to-day basis. I probably work out for about an hour in the morning and then probably another, probably another good stretching session, uh, yoga, um, for about 45 minutes in the evening. And do you do much swimming anymore? I mean, having been a, been a water polo player and just real quick on that for listeners, what I found fascinating is I read something in a study a few years ago that the, 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 the athletes who perform the best in Navy SEAL and BUDS training and recruit training, the athletes who perform the best are cross country, rugby, and water polo. What about wrestlers? What's that? And wrestler, yeah, wrestler was the other, yeah, wrestler was yeah. the other one, um, of, of where that people that come in from my, that mindset, make it through buds, make it through the physical rigors of the Navy SEAL training the best. But do you, do you do much swimming anymore? I don't. Um, you know, my shoulders are not happy with swimming so much anymore. Um, I, uh, I, I still love it. I, I, I can still swim a little bit, but I can't, it's hard for me to get a, a full workout in. It's what it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, it's, it's the one motion that my shoulders don't like doing too much of. So, um, I'll take that and I'll just keep it moving. Well, you have the fitness space and I was in my, in my, in my, my fraternity in college, we, we had a pretty competitive D3, um, water polo team at Redlands. 
And I have to say, in my fraternity house, we had a number of water polo players there. And, and my only comment about, about, about water polo is I'm walking around at one of our fraternity parties and I'm looking at everybody's backs and shoulder blades because they're all about three or four inches taller than me. These guys were all like six foot, six foot two, even on, even on a D3 team. And, but that to say, I was amazed at the fitness level that these guys would train. I mean, these guys would, they go in the water. I mean, they would train for hours in the water, but that fitness base carries with you even now, so many years later. hundred percent. I mean, I'll never forget one of one of our, we did this workout probably three times a week. It was 20 100s, which are four laps uh, on, on the 130. That's how you started. Oof. It was just like, you know, jump in. There's no warm up. You know, this is back in like the coach is like, no, get in 21 hundreds on the one thirty. We're done with that. We'll start, we'll, we'll start doing drills. Okay. And, and, and that, and that was a start, you know, that, that was like, you know, that's just how it started. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you build, you, you build the base. <laughs> well, no, I've been, I've been in the water recently. So my daughter, uh, my older daughter, my kids are still young. They're, they're seven and nine. And my older daughter is trying to prepare for junior lifeguards. There's a junior lifeguard yeah. here. And her swimming's okay. We've, we've been working on treading water. And I was never a strong swimmer. I did swim team for a couple of years, like like every kid, like most kids did in the suburbs growing up. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I'm just like, I get out of the pool after 20, 30 minutes with her. And I'm like, I got to start getting in the pool again. You know, I got to start because I like the motion. And now knowing a little bit more about water, I just feel, I mean, as obviously as our bodies age, it, it's, a, it's a great thing. So where do you see, let, let's shift back to, to tactical. Where yeah, do you see yeah. What's that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, where do you see it going? Like, where do you see the next, where do you see what you're doing with it within the fire services? How do you see that evolving over the next few years? Uh, you know, I think tactical training will keep evolving. And I think we'll keep getting a better idea of, of how to train athletes or sorry, firefighters and police and military better. Um, you know, I think we'll integrate more science in, but I think, you know, we have to be careful of how much science we integrate in because at the heart and soul of these jobs, these jobs aren't science-based per se. Um, I think we need to use those tools to help us understand what's going on internally and externally better, and then use that information to help us train better. And if we, if we're careful, uh, it's going to be a huge benefit. And I think, you know, that that stuff's going to be massive for us. Um, so I think that's, that's exciting to see that coming in and seeing how that integrates. Um, I would really love to see how we approach fitness and not as a fitness paradigm and a mental paradigm and a spiritual paradigm, but all, all together as one. Uh, one of the things I talk to recruits about is so often I see people work out and the music's angry, the headphones are on, um, they use anger to, to move the weights. It, they, they talk bad to themselves. Like, you're pussy, you're Sally, you know, you can do that to themselves. And uh, I always say, you know, anger is an expensive fuel. And, and, you know, there's a point at which it can work, uh, but you have to be very careful. It's a double-edged sword. You know, you, 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 your body's internalizing all that stuff. You know, when we have angry music on, our body's responding to that. When we have headphones on, we're not paying attention to what's going around us and we're zoning out. That's how we're training our body to respond when we're under pressure and we're under physical uh, dress, right? And I have them, I, I say, when you come to this workout, you need to answer a couple questions before we start every day. It's you know, what are you trying to find within yourself? And what are you trying to get rid of? What are you trying to shed? You come in with an intention. I mean, when you're working out, we're not we're not going to be angry at ourselves. We're not using angry words. We can do this. I got this. You know, I'm building myself better. You know, I'm getting rid of this. I'm moving towards this. Uh, you know, the, and, and this plays into the mental health side of it. You know, the, it's no mystery to me that if we go to the gym and we're destroying our bodies physically and we're talking to ourselves horribly mentally and we and we're reinforcing disconnection when things get physically challenging. Uh, that their their mental health is going to suffer, and so I think instead of taking this 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 one two three approach, realizing it's all together, it's all it all, it all works together, and and figuring out how to incorporate those, uh, I think is going to be a huge piece to tactical training. You hit the nail on the head. One of my mentors used to talk about mind, body, spirit, and it really is. I mean, it, you can't have you you can't make one strong without the other two without making an emphasis on the other two. And I really think that, you know, I recently ran an interview with a non-denominational minister and we were talking about that a little bit. I really think that that, that spirituality component, however people define it for themselves, 
I think that's an, a very important component of fitness that we haven't really tapped into yet. Hundred percent. And I think that in the next few years, I don't know how exactly that 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 will happen. Um, I just think that we need to be aware of the fact that hey, why are we banging away in the gym for hours if we're not doing anything for the heart and the mind and how we work with a better community? A hundred percent. I mean, I agree. I think the spiritual side is is a missing component, and I think it's. Uh, I think people have an aversion to the word spiritual, um, but I think you know we had an aversion to mental performance for a while too until we realized that it worked. I think it's you know people forged away and pretty soon it'll be a natural piece of fitness. I, I, here's the thing. There, there's a guy named Paul check. Based oh, on- I love Paul check. <laughs> and Paul, if I interviewed him a couple of years ago and I need to have him back on the podcast again, but 20 years ago, Aaron, Paul was talking about gluten intolerance. He was talking about organic food. He, yep. he was talking about functional training from a very, he was way ahead of the curve on so many things. And about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I had a very, just a, phenomenal a fascinating conversation with him just about spirituality and and he does he's a shaman and he's done like uh, ayahuasca journeys and and we don't necessarily need to go there but it's being open to the fact that if we really want to be truly strong and fit we need to be how do we fit into the better universe how do we fit in that's kind of how i look at spiritual right is how do we fit in and how do we contribute to to everything overall it's not just about about me um it's about how we contribute every, to everything overall hundred percent. And that's, to me, I, I'm a firm believer that that can start and, and needs to start, uh, in the gym. And, and it's, it's, it's how we approach our workouts. It's, it's how we come to them. It's the energy we bring to them. And it's the, what we, what we do when we're pushing ourselves those limits, what's happening inside here and here, here being the heart, you know, and in the, in the, in the mind that really builds the body. Um, you know, I think it's, we can evolve away from something or we can evolve towards something. And whenever we evolve away from something, uh, we're not choosing which direction we go. We're just fleeing away from that thing. And if we f- see fitness as this have to, this, this anger, this, or this fear, um, um, you know, we're, we're evolving away from that, you know? Uh, whereas if we choose, if we see it as, as growth and potential and connection, then we're going, we're, we're evolving towards it and picking our direction. We're evolving towards this goal, which is a hugely different way to enter um, how we, how we work out, um, in the gym. And I think this is, again, this is the missing piece that, that, that I see one of the missing pieces I see in a lot of tactical programs. Well, I think it's a lot of, I mean, missing pieces for a lot of people. And just, just to share with you for the last few years and then to share with listeners and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here is for the last few years, I, I very rarely now listen to music when, when I work out for exactly those reasons. I heard a talk where you know that those kind of like the heavy beating the cortisol you know elevates cortisol it it just it, it puts you in a different space but now when i work out i listen to either comedy on pandora i type in a couple of different comedians and we'll listen to comedy the only danger being if you're lifting something heavy you might have a tendency <laughs> to laugh so you need to be a little bit mindful of that but i listen to comedy or i listen to a good like just conversational like this podcast of where i can engage in the conversation but what i'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring that stress level down from the, yeah, I used to pump, I used to love pumping Metallica or pumping. We all did. <laughs> you know, now, but, but now that I work out, I don't want to hear Metallica. I want to hear, I'd rather hear a set by Burt Kreischer. Or I'd rather hear a set by, you know, I'd rather hear a good conversation on Joe Rogan when I work out as opposed to just going, oh, I'm going to crush it. I, what do you listen to? What do you do? You listen to anything when you work out? No. No, I don't. I, I, I intentionally have, I intentionally try to have as little distractions as possible so that I can hear the conversation going on in my head. Um, and you know, cause it's, it's fascinating. Sometimes, sometimes those demons, uh, they will try to convince you of all kinds of things. And, um, it's easy to put something on to, to turn your mind off to it. Whereas it, if, if I'm sitting with, you know, these, these thoughts, these ideas, and I'm pushing through them, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question of why you're here. You know, I'm challenging myself to confront these things using the physical demands to push myself there, then, then in life, when those things pop up uh, or, or I'm challenged physically, then I'm going to be more prepared mentally to, 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 to take those things on. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, I look at it as being a spiritual warrior, you know, man, like, 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 like there's like, you look at some of these traditions and, 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 and man, they, they push people to the max and, and they push them. And at the end of the day, the, a lot of these cultures, they come back to you being alone with your thoughts 
and, and, and having to challenge that, you know, I think, um, if you, if you look at the Navy SEALs, you know, at the end of the day, talk about, you, you know, you can't let the idea of quit come in your mind. At the end of the day, it comes back to what's going on. And, you know, we have teams to help us and people around to support us. But at the end of the day, what goes on between your mind is that, that, that end of the day, that conversation is just you and you, and you got to figure out, you know, how to have it and how to move through it. And in your line of work, you can't, you, you really, when you, when you're, when you get called out, you can't have a bad day. You need to be switched on, be a hundred percent. And it's not just for you. I mean, one of the reasons why I enjoy learning about this community and why I try to help this community as much as possible. I think I said this to you before, I'm very selfish about it because heaven forbid I ever have a need for uh, you guys to get called out to a scene I'm involved with. And I mean this, I want you to be able to, I want anybody who's called out on a scene to be able to work that scene to the best of their ability. Whether if, if my family might be in there or somebody else I care about, their family might be there. I want them to get the best response possible by the people trained for it. I a hundred percent agree. It's one of my philosophies too, that, that, um, too often we train athletes like warriors and warriors like athletes, like, like, you know, our athletes train for peak performance in, and tactical athletes, tactical people in tactical world, you train for Valley performances. Like we need to, we need to make our valleys, uh, is strong because we're always going to, we're going to be tapped to, to, we're going to be asked to perform at a very high level when we're tired, when we're dehydrated, when we're depleted, when we're exhausted, when shit's going on at home or whatever else. And we have to be able to perform at those, at those low levels. And you have to be able to train that. Um, that's a, that's a challenge, but you're hundred percent right. We need to get ourselves, we need to get people up and running because Lord knows we're going to need them. Sorry, I just had my dog come over here and, and start looking. No, at but man, right. this, is, this is awesome stuff, man. I really, I want to circle back with you and follow up yeah. with you at some point, you know, in, in not too distant future. Just to kind of have to keep having this conversation. I love this approach to it, I, and really, I, I love giving the op- listeners the opportunity to learn what goes into how firefighters prepare because it can be easy to see what you guys do. If you, most people will have a perception of firefighters getting called out. They walk around. They get off the truck. They look, whatever the call was, they kind of look around, they get back, and they go back. That's how a lot of people perceive uh, firefighters. But I, but I wanted to have this conversation, Aaron, so people understand that there's a lot that goes on in the background so that when they do show up and it's not a, not a good situation, you guys have the ability and the fitness to deal with that. Absolutely. I mean, I love to have another conversation about this. I could talk about this all day. I, I love it. And you're right. There's a lot, a lot of backstory that goes into, into being a firefighter. Cool, man. Well, but, and I know you're we're not promoting anything. The only thing that, that I'd ever want to promote right now is clear out that space, create that defensible space. Yes. Make sure, make sure you check. But I mean that check around your house because we're going to get we're going to have some wildfires this year. And anything anybody can do to help out um, the men and women on the lines, I think, would be would be invaluable. But if you give listeners your uh, your Instagram, I, I dig following you on Instagram and I, I dig your posts that you've been putting up there. So uh that way, you can start engaging uh, people, and they have a way to reach out to you. Yeah, it's live, serve, thrive, and that's that's either on Instagram or Facebook or what do you call it now? Online web 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 page. I'm not a tech okay. person. That's why I'm a firefighter. But it's a uh, live, serve, thrive. Awesome, man. Hey, appreciate yeah. it, Aaron. Have an Thanks, awesome man. day, and we'll be in touch soon. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that was a fun conversation, and. I look at I look at firefighters. I look at firefighters as athletes, right? I mean, if you if you get out of college, if you played some sports in college in high school, being on the fire department is about the closest thing you can become to being a professional athlete. Well, without actually being a professional athlete, because those men and women have to prepare for very challenging physical duties. And over the past twenty years, as you heard Aaron and I talk about, I mean, he's been a firefighter. He came on the fire services right about the time of nine eleven. And over the past 20 years, there's been a tremendous amount of research, tremendous amount of research on the fitness needs of firefighters. It's not just enough to lift weights. They have to be mobile. They have to be, have dynamic fitness. They have to understand how to use their oxygen smartly when they're, when, they're wearing a, when they're wearing an air tank on a call. And it really was. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I respect this community of the, well, any first responder, whether a police officer, whether EMS, whether they're firefighters. And I know in in recent news, there's been a lot of negative issues about about police officers, and and we have to understand that those are the outliers. That though there are one or two individuals in every department that just probably are not good people that somehow got through the screening process and they became they became law enforcement. They should not be, 
and hopefully they get weeded out before they cause any injury or, or you know kill anybody in the line of duty. But the overwhelming majority of the men and women who are serving us as first responders are good, solid people who are doing their best to keep everybody safe. I, I firmly believe that. My ex-wife has worked in law enforcement for almost 20, well, for 20 years now. She started her law enforcement career right, in, right around 2000, 2001. And she's a chemist. She's a forensic chemist. And so she supports the detectives and, and other people that are, that are working on the crimes. So I've been around the law enforcement community. I've been technically a part of the law enforcement family. And one of the reasons why I keep my old Honda is the tags on my Honda are registered as law enforcement as uh, with the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. So that makes it, hey, that gives me a little bit of a, if I'm driving up and down the freeways in California. And I'm making a little bit light of it, but in all honesty, I really respect the work of these men and women. And anything I can do to highlight what they do and how they do their job, I, I love that opportunity. Also, the other thing I want to do is that public service announcement for defensible space. That is a real issue. A good friend of mine who's a firefighter pointed that out to me one time that when they're on a wild wildfire call, there are sometimes they're going to let buildings go because the people, the homeowners didn't take the time to clear defensible space. So if you live in a wildfire area, if you have not cleared out defensible space, hey, I'm recording this in July of 2021. Fire season is coming up. Do what you can do to make your house, your neighborhood, your area safer and take the do the do the do the diligence to take the time to clear out defensible space and that could save your home in case a wildfire happens this season. I hope it doesn't, but really you you've gotten the information now. On that note, hey, I'm a, I'm not a firefighter, but I am a fitness guy. If you have any fitness needs, you can check down below in the show notes for resources. My blog petemccallfitness.com. That's petemccallfitness.com. You sign up for the mailing list, I will send you one or two high quality emails a month. Plus, when you sign up, you get a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. Ageless Intensity is out soon. Um, I'll have some more information on that. That's why I'm bearing it at the end of the podcast. But Ageless Intensity is my new book on how high-intensity exercise slows down the aging process. You can always reach me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. As always, thanks for stopping by. And I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.